Pushkin. You can find inspiring stories almost anywhere. For instance, check out the co-founders of Girls Who Do Interiors. This Miami-based design company was started by three friends when they were still in school. And right from the start, they turned to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards. And they handled them all in one place with the Chase mobile app. It's so important to have that kind of help when you're just starting out. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member FDIC. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Smart journalism. Fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. Last year, the Army missed its recruitment goal. It had 65,000 spots to fill and came up 10,000 short of that target. Why is it so hard to recruit? How's the Pentagon responding? And how are the voices of service members on social media shifting the balance? Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the show. This is Talk Easy. I'm Sam Fragoso, and thank you for being here. This week on the program is fellow podcaster Anna Sale. Anna is the host of Death, Sex, and Money, a show from WNYC about, as she says, the things we talk about a lot and need to talk about more. Airing every other Wednesday, the program has become one of the largest and most beloved podcasts in the medium. That's in part because of Anna's egalitarian approach to interviewing. On a month-to-month basis, you never know who may be coming on and what they may be talking about. Sometimes you'll have an episode of listeners relaying their painful breakup stories, or 30 minutes dedicated to how different people consume porn. And then, like a curveball, you'll have actor Jeff Daniels opening up about his sobriety. Second time, I had just turned 50, which is, uh, that's a speed bump, and uh, 80 miles an hour, and, and... And I'd been, I didn't, I wouldn't like, I hadn't drank for, geez, 14 years. Cold, just cold turkey, just quit. It was, this is stupid. I'm done. And I was two months into 50 and I was checking into a hotel room in some city. I'm throwing the suitcase on the bed and I hear a voice behind me. And it's me. Clear as day. Say, don't you think you've punished yourself enough? Hmm. And I stopped. I didn't turn around. I knew it was, but it was as if I were 
I said, yeah. Yeah, I have. Mini bar. Here we go. These dialogues may appear disparate, but they're not. Sale, whose work has appeared on Fresh Air with Terry Gross, This American Life, connects these people through a shared honesty. Death, Sex, and Money is, of course, about death, sex, and money, but it's also about shedding the bullshit and opening up your heart. We tried to do some of that on this show, as we always do, diving into Anna's childhood in West Virginia, her college days at Stanford, her ongoing relationship with listeners, and her recent foray into motherhood and West Coast living. So, finally, here is Anna Sale. I wanted to start with your relationship with listeners. Uh-huh. I just spent the last four hours listening to your show. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. How oh. do you feel? <laughs> do you mm. feel? <laughs> well, let me tell you. No, no. Did it bring up some things? It yeah. brought up some things. You're good at doing that. I guess let's start with why do you think people are inclined to trust you? Um, First response, I, you laugh. <laughs> That's good. Well, I, I don't know if it's... Um, I don't know that it's me necessarily. I think it's the quality of the show, like the texture of the show that leads to um, people opening up. Um, it's interesting because we, sh- we started the show in May of 2014. And one of the first episodes was about me and a moment when my relationship was like blown up and I didn't know if it was going to come back together and... Um, also about being a woman in my early 30s, not knowing if my relationship was going to come back together and so what that meant in terms of whether I could have a family and mm. I had already been divorced and what, you know, what was going to happen in my life. Um, and I think that I, I didn't know it at the time, but I think by starting the show with this sense of like, here's where I'm at, you know, right. um, gave people permission to say like, oh, well, here's where I'm at. Um, and, and just immediately after those you know that was one of the very first episodes people just started emailing us stories about you know here's what happened in my life when my husband cheated on me here's what's going on with me and I don't know if I'm going to stay with my partner and and it wasn't so much like you know I I liked the way you did this about this it wasn't like um reader letters or something people just responding to the episode it was them picking up the baton and sharing back mm-hmm. um and so I think that uh we've noticed that that was special and so we've tried to stoke that and um include listener stories and and include that conversation so that and it's grown and it's um continues to be like one of the best sources of episode ideas is just what people confide in us in our email inbox how much are you confiding in the moment of those interviews i mean obviously you're going to cut that in post but are you giving a lot of yourself Oh, do you mean do I do I tell a bunch of secrets and then cut it out later <laughs> to get people to tell secrets? Not really. I don't think that's really fair. Um, uh, I do try to be judicious in the moment of how much I make it about me. Right. Um, but I think you know if someone is. I just did an interview last week um, with a woman who's in a wheelchair and she was talking about how long it took her to heal after having her kid because she had a C-section. And, 
you know, she said something about like, I don't know if you realize how long it takes to heal. And I was like, oh, yeah, I had a, I had a C-section. I remember like, it's, you know, mm-hmm. and I can't imagine like if you have limited mobility in, in your so – anyway, so it was like – it was just able – it allowed me to mirror back like, yeah, I know what you're talking about because I also had a C-section. But then we moved on and continued to talk about her C-section. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I don't know if it delegitimizes a moment if you're being honest with them there if you then later cut parts of it. Because the show ultimately is about the subject at hand. But it is tough because I've been, I've been wondering, you have so many conversations that are, not to use this word too much, but intimate and, and vulnerable. Does your bandwidth, do you have the bandwidth to have those outside of the show? Hmm. I've been thinking about that recently because I, um, I used to, like, this is the way I move in the world. Like, you know, if I'm having a conversation with someone, it, like, the what I want out of it is to go deep. Like, right. no matter the context, you know, if I'm in the line at the post office and, uh, you know, but... See, I heard you um, talk about this on uh, Max's show on Longform. Oh, uh-huh. And I immediately was like, this is, this is how I feel. My whole life, any interaction... There's like a 25% chance they're going to tell me about like their divorce. Yeah. And it's like it's only as I get older, I'm like, oh, God, I hope people don't find me exhausting. Oh, <laughs> I know they find me exhausting. I, I accepted that like about a year and a half ago. I was like, oh, they're fucking tired yeah. of me. This they is, just want to talk about the weather. Just talk about the weather, <laughs> Anna. Um, but I, I think I am noticing that my bandwidth is narrowing um, since I've become a parent. And I think it's like that – I think that's because part of – I'm trying to protect um, my home life from my work life and those boundaries a little bit more than I used to. So that I am noticing like, okay, when I when I go home, like it's, it's kind of nice to just sing songs and try <laughs> to get my little girl to clap along, you know? And I'm noticing that there's actually like a real, um, you know – it's it's uh, it's a release to not always be going for that like deep truth and digging. Right. Why do you think you want that? Um. Or maybe had want, wanted that. Oh, I still want it. I still want. I I think that it, it it's like it's why I went into journalism. It's it's like deep curiosity, um, but it's also about like. I don't know, like there's there's something like when I know something is really going on and that's like what's motivating people or like and we're not acknowledging with it with words. It I read that as kind of there's something dishonest happening. And it was part of why I I enjoyed but also got burned out from covering politics, because covering politics is all about recording people saying words that where they're saying you know, not what they really think mm-hmm. in that moment, you know. So it's it's like trying to always sort of figure out what's going on um, and cut through. That's that's always been just sort of how, how I move in the world. You've kind of gone to, you've hit the spectrum there. You went from politicians, almost complete dishonesty, <laughs> to death, sex, money, which is at times overwhelming honesty. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think one was a reaction to the other, for <laughs> sure. Yeah, for sure. That's true of most things. Yeah. I do worry, and I've talked about this on the show before, I worry that I'm less curious now that I have 
the podcast and like I, I make you know my living through magazine writing and all that stuff and I worry about that I, I don't know I don't know if, if like having a work outlet for what's kind of been the thing that is your pulse right is going to take weaken the pulse but what an unfair thing to complain about <laughs> yeah, like oh that they, that they, <laughs> thank you but I get to live my truth I get to so live. much in work. My truth is not as intense as it used to be. But <laughs> I will say, there is, as obnoxious as it is, and I'm glad the word choice is on point this morning, Anna. Uh, it is kind of a bummer in day-to-day life where I notice, oh, that cab ride, I didn't go into it. Because sometimes I just, it's too much. I'm exhausted. I and. It, have you hit that? And or maybe did the kid, did you having a child like allow you to just put your energy elsewhere? Well, it's it, it's interesting because like it, um, parenting a small child who like only understands the tone of your voice. She, she doesn't know what I'm saying. Like, there's no way I can have a deep conversation with my ten month old. So it's actually, but it's like playing is something that's. Um, Mm. honorable, right. right? Like, I'm doing a good job as a parent if I'm just sitting on the floor with my kid and, like, throwing a ball back and forth with her. And and that's something that is good for me to um, feel because I, I am very, like, I can be very cerebral and, like, also type A and industrious like you know like like what am, <laughs> what what is what is the result of the way i'm spending my time right now you know and so having a reason to just be and in the moment and play is nice did you not do a lot of that in your like teenage you know or 20 early 20s i didn't i was like i was the kid like i can remember i worked at bookstores when i was in junior high and high school and when I start I went to Stanford and my um first like weeks there I was like oh I'm on classes on Saturday and Sunday I should probably like start working in the bookstore and like just to make money and Mm. and I remember a friend saying to me like don't you want to have Saturdays to explore and I was like oh (laughs) I like there's ways I can I don't have to work at the bookstore every weekend and and it it took like being told that because my default was just to fill my time with, you know, I don't know. Like it wasn't so much about the money. It was like, oh, I have this free time. Here's a way I can schedule it. Why is that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's. I think it's like part of my, my. You have your your the fourth uh, five sisters. Yeah, five sister. I'm one of five daughters, and um, like I don't think back on my childhood as like this time of like you know working in the fields and you know, not, not playing. Um, but I do, like, I think I'm a very task-oriented person. And so, um, it like, I'm helped by people who remind me to just, like, relax. Mm. What was your household like as a kid? That's like a lot of children in a house. It was loud. Um, it was loud. I, my, my two older sisters are 9 and 11 years older than me, so they would kind of... Um, they were teenagers and in college when I was right. growing up. Um, so they would, like, come to visit, and it would be, like, 
learn about lifetime, you know, and maybe that's where like my interest in deep conversations came from because we had I f- feel very close to them, but um, we didn't grow up in the same house. But when we were together, it was like, mm. tell me about drugs, tell me about sex, tell me about, you know, everything. And then my other sisters, I'm closer in age too. And so it was just like, you know, raucous. Like I, the, I can remember I didn't live alone until I was 30 and divorced. And I can remember experiencing quiet for the first time. And it was totally destabilizing. It was like, oh, I've never had this because I was in this big family and then I was in college and then I was, you know, living with other people. Mm, you you shot all over the place there. That was, I, I will say as an older sibling, as the oldest sibling, talking to your younger brothers and sisters about stuff, it's kind of the best way to work out material uh-huh. and to like figure <laughs> out how you feel about something. But it appears to them as like this sage oh, advice. totally. <laughs> That's good that you had that, though, right? Oh, absolutely. Like, I can remember just little lessons that I took, like, you know. Yeah, what is, what, what is one of those? I can remember a conversation that was, like, where I was, I was like, learning about what were hard, hard drugs versus drugs that weren't hard and, like, what they deemed to be, like, drugs that were, you know, okay if you were in a safe environment to try, mm-hmm. but like these were the ones that like you wanted to be sure that you um, didn't use because you could you could become a problem. Like right. just little things like that. Like and Good I was like, okay, yeah. okay. Like, did you abide by those rules? Of course, yeah. My big sisters say, you know, yeah. That's great. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if my brothers listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> I think they they in theory want to. Maybe I'm just not a, as good at giving advice as your sisters were. Well, how old are they compared to you? Three years. One's uh, three years younger, another one's six years, and then one's uh, seven years. Okay. Yeah. All right. So the youngest one is going to like totally what you say is right. like, yeah. But then it's, you it's did, did, did you have to do that to your, you had younger siblings as well. Yeah. I have a younger sister who's three years younger. And I think like, I think that what I said was really important when we were growing up and then we're in this interesting stage now where she's like a full, you know, grown up who can deliver babies for a living. And like, that's her job. Like she can save lives. Um, and so when you get become adults and and you have very different ways of moving in the world, like I think it makes your, you know, I don't think of her as my baby sister anymore, mm. but I thought of her as my baby sister for a long, long time. Circumstances change. Yeah. I was thinking about what you were saying, the uh, goal-oriented. What was the goal as a kid? I don't know. I, I what think were the things you were passionate about? Uh, I was like, a, what did I love as a kid? I mean, I was like really into Susan B. Anthony as a kid. <laughs> this is all really making sense. <laughs> I was really, I grew up in the Unitarian Universalist Church, so like that she was someone we, we claimed as a Unitarian, and I was like, as a one of five daughters, like it was like feminism and women's rights, and um, and so I would do like all my, you know, book reports in elementary school on Susan B. Anthony. So it was this combination of like, you know, I, I, I really liked school, and I also liked like kind of being involved in the community and, and stuff like that. So, so you know, I grew up in Charleston, West Virginia, which is a small, smaller city, about 50,000 people, but it's like, has a, has a college, has a couple colleges in town. And so, 
you know, in junior high and high school, it was like hanging out with the arts kids, mm -hmm. also doing school, like wanting to go to a good college. Um, you're, I, you're... I played violin growing up. Oh, my gosh. Um, this is all really making a lot of sense. <laughs> is it? Yeah, totally. What are you figuring out? Tell me. Well, <laughs> I, 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 you know, um, so you studied a lot. And you did well in the SAT, and you played violin, and you went to Stanford, and you went, you, from my memory, uh, or what you said on the show, long form, you tried out a bunch of different colleges, which to me says, okay, you kind of went anywhere, right? Yeah, I picked Stanford, I remember, because um, of the weather. <laughs> Like, and also because my two oldest sisters had lived in California, they both went to UC schools. So I, you know, this is where I would visit them so as a teenager. So California had this idea of like, this is where you got to like, be, you know, yeah. in the in the flow of like, well, all that was cool. So that was why I, I went hard at Stanford. Were your parents pushing you in either direction or any direction? Um. Not in terms of, like, which college to try to – I mean, my parents paid for college. So right. in that way, they enabled me to, um, like, be able to be really privileged and bold about what I said I wanted. Um, what about so, career? Uh, not really. My parents are both in medicine. My dad is a retired doctor, and my mom was a physical therapist. So they had, had kind of very, you know, conventional ways of thinking about career, but – they never, I think I, it was always clear, like, I was, like, a writer kind of person. But whatever that meant, it was like I could I could figure that out. A writer kind of person? You, you know, like a, you know, I was, I was, like, I liked English. I liked writing. I wrote for, like, school newspaper. You know, that, that was, like, my, that was my zone mm. as opposed to, like, going to med going into medicine or something. Mm -hmm. I think what I was alluding to in terms of figuring out, and granted, this is complete, I've known you for... I don't even know how long I've been doing this, 12 minutes. Uh -huh. uh, you, it's an interesting mix of someone who's very organized and meticulous and and driven, but also like has an emotional uh, availability and able to get emotions out of people. Those, those two don't intersect that often. Hmm. Terry Gross. Terry Gross is that times a million. Like when I think of and is your icon the person you looked up to? Yeah, well, when I th when I I say that because just the way like when I am preparing for an interview, I'm like, man, Terry Gross would have spent like three more days <laughs> like, <laughs> digging deep to prepare for this interview. She's like my like haunted ghost that's like ah, you know, she do as do as well as Terry, um, because I think of her as someone who's like very like thorough and detail oriented. And I like the way that she talks about it. She talks about it as like a way of conveying respect to the person that she's interviewing, that she has done this deep dive into what they what they do and what they think about. But I think, I guess you're right. I think it's like, well, I think that's a lot of like journalists are, I remember when I started in journalism, it was like this revelation because I realized that I could go, like my job was to go out into the world and ask people questions and get this great tape and have that interaction. But then I needed to come back and then write and be with my thoughts and organize. And I loved that combination. And I, <laughs> I remember thinking of it as like, wow, this is like a supremely passive aggressive 
way <laughs> to, to move in the world because it's all about establishing trust and relationship. And then you are the author and the narrator of, you know, what you write in the end. Um, I don't think of it as passive aggressive anymore, but I thought it was funny to think of it that way. It may be passive aggressive. <laughs> I spend many nights not being able to fall asleep for hours thinking, I think I'm not a good person <laughs> because of this job. I actually worry about it. it's like I, I think the job itself is dangerous. It's something I think about a lot because our listeners, the way they confide in our show, like they are confiding in a journalistic show. And so how we continue the conversation with them to tell them, you know, if you share this story on the show, like what are the ways, you know, that you're comfortable? Like can we use your last name, et cetera, et cetera. Because you are playing with fire. You are you are saying to people, like, trust me, confide in me. And then you are saying, it, you know, my, my job along with that is to create compelling narrative um, that people will want to listen to. Mm. So um, those, those two objectives are, there's a tension there um, that we are always monitoring. Right. Plus there's the, the underlying truth, which is you're profiting from their stories. And granted, you're turning it into a larger story, and I'm not denying that quality. But to any degree, anyone interviewing anyone is profiting off someone else. Yeah, exactly. Like you want a great interview. <laughs> yeah, you want a great story. Yeah. So it's it is like they when someone entrusts you with um, by agreeing to an interview, they are they are giving you something of value. Do you think you've ever abused the trust? I don't. Th- I I I don't think so. I think that we we have tried really hard to to continually have conversations about ethics and our communication with listeners. I mean, for sure, as a journalist, when I was covering news, I would I would interview someone and they would might end up in a political story and. Um, they might not love what the message of the story is, but you know your job as a political journalist is to talk to a lot of different people and to then convey to your listeners what you think is actually going on. That's your job. Um, so people didn't always love my stories when I was covering politics. Right. Yeah. But that I maybe it's because I uh, I'm more inclined to let like politicians just be angry. Mm-hmm. It's complicated. I think about it a lot when I watch like press briefings because. You know, what you're watching is this, like, gang of people who work together day in and day out. And and um, there is this currency of, like, when are you going to spend – when are you going to spend that currency by doing the hard story when you're going to have to go back to that guy the next day as right. a source? Um, it's a problem they're facing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, if, when it comes to the listeners, how are you balancing your interactions with them but then also setting some boundary between – Anna, the host of the show, and Anna, your life. My life. It's That's been um, sort of interesting because I live in this a new place. I've moved across the country how many months ago? Like seven months ago. Um, and I don't have any, I don't have that many friends here, you know, so it's like, so there have, I have gotten emails that are people who, who only listen to the show and they're like, welcome, can I make you dinner and have you and your husband over? I'd love to like, you know, show you the area. And it's like, that is amazing. But also like, I've, I've chosen that that's not the way I want to like, right. um, 
build my social life because it's a little bit weird to like feel like you're walking through the podcast host is here you know like um so so that's one way I've tried to draw a boundary um but I so do you say no um I think that I that a lot of those came in before I had moved so I didn't have to like officially like um decline decline Mm -hmm. um but on the other hand like I have it's it's not totally black and white because I also like have loved just like casual meetups with listeners and getting to know who they are and you know what they care about and um so so I don't have a very good answer on that it's something I'm like thinking about um it's tough yeah well it's interesting I (laughs) this is really funny and weird my husband just got back from a work trip um and he was like, just you know, just totally like, and it, we were like, let's just like splurge. Like we got one of those in-home massage things. So this lady comes and is giving my husband a massage, and she's, she like looks at me afterwards and she's like, um, "You're Anna Sale, right?" And I was like, "Yes." And she's like, "I figured it out because you have the baby, and her name is June." And then there's this Wyoming stuff on this wall, and I was like oh, wow, like, that's kind of, like, amazing that, like, you are in my house and just gave my husband a massage and, like, you know all this backstory of things I revealed on the podcast about my life. Um, (laughs) And then we got to talk about, like, how she found the show and, like, how long she's lived in the East Bay, et cetera, et cetera, so it was fine. Mm -hmm. But it was also, like, wow, that's, like, a weird, that's a weird thing that just happened. Is that a moment where you think, "Mm, maybe I've given too much? I don't think so. I mean, I think that, like, you know, I, 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 there's not there's nothing I've regretted sharing that I um, yet, and I do take like if I'm whenever I mention something about home or family dynamics and our family in our newsletter on the show, like I run it past Arthur just to see if he's my husband to see if he's comfortable because um, that stuff is you know is precious. You don't want to you don't want to like go overboard. How does he feel about the show? Um, I think he likes it. <laughs> I, I think he, um, it's interesting, like he, he's in a different zone. He's a scientist. So like he's able to listen. I like hearing what he thinks about different episodes because he's not listening as a radio maker or, or like thinking about craft. He's thinking about like what his just like emotional experience was listening. So he'll give me feedback that would not have, like didn't come up in edits or something in interesting ways. Um, and I think, and the the political worlds that he interacts with, um, you know, I'm on, you know, I'll be on Twitter during the day, so I can like come home and be like, here's what Twitter was talking about today, or media Twitter, um, and then, and he's like engaging with like, you know, ranchers and county commissioners in the West dealing with, you know, wolves and grizzly bears, and so like hearing the you know, it's it's I think it's good for me it's like a it sounds think, like John Wayne it's very cool it's his work is very cool and his work is like it's it's good I I feel glad that that's in our household right now given what's happening in America because it's really easy to not have a sense of like what people in very different environments are thinking and feeling mm. how has the rest of your family felt about the show I think good um my mom will like show people how to like download the podcast you know when she's like talk to people about podcasts she'll, she knows how to show them how to find it on the, on the podcast app the itunes podcast app um 
And I, you know, I did an episode, we did an episode all about siblings and my sisters were part of it. Um, and that was, that was like emotionally intense because it's, it's interesting, you know, when you have siblings and I have si- other siblings who are like, who, who are storytellers and um, like to, for me to be the one who was making a show about us, it was like sort of interesting um, because I think, you know, others of us would, would, would craft it differently, but um, they're all really supportive. And so I think, I don't think I've violated anything mm. as far as our family dynamics yet. <laughs> You're in a moment of transition. Mm-hmm. Is that a lot to deal with? Uh, I feel like I've been in transition for like six years straight now. So I've, I, I, what? How's that, how's that possible? Well, because I feel like I, well, actually more than that. I think since I moved to New York, I moved to New York in 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been like when I think about how much my life has changed since then, it's like now I'm kind of, um, I feel like I'm not in transition for the first time in a long, long time right now. Like I can see, like I will likely be living in the same place, caring about the same things, hopefully doing the same kind of work, you know, for at least, you know, a few years to come, which has not been a feeling I've had in a long time. So because my, I was covering news, I was working on different radio shows. I didn't know if I was going to stay in New York. I didn't know if I was going to marry Arthur. And then it was like, how are we going to make it work in New York City when you study large mammals? You know, all these things. And then I, like, What a great married. sentence, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> how are we going to make it work in New York City if you study large I mammals? I mean, it's like a thing. It was a big question. Um, and, uh, and then it was like, oh, my gosh, not only did we just get married, now we're pregnant and we're having a kid. So I feel like we've, like, there's just been a lot. It's, it, 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 to, to be in a space now... Um, in my life and and with my family where we're like now we just get to like learn how to be a family in one place um, Mm. is is pretty like we've talked about (laughs) Arthur soon after we moved here he was like we we'd like just gotten a couch or something and Arthur was like and now we just get old (laughs) it's like it's like after so many questions, who am I? What am I? What am I doing? How? Like now it's like, okay, now we just, you know, maybe now is when we get super depressed because like we don't have this change like propelling us in survival mode. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my answer to your transition question. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like, it's like now my transition is like, okay, thinking like a little bit more long term and like just being okay with that at 30 you got divorced mm-hmm. was it hard to do it again to get married again no nah, not or just getting married but to like when fall something in love yeah again sure i mean it continues to be hard uh because i think when you learn how to take care of yourself and like you learn that you can do it and th- that it was something like after you after you have a relationship end that you didn't think was going to end like it's hard to to trust and it's hard to like depend on someone else so so like that i think is something that like continues to reveal itself like how actually nice it is to let yourself depend on someone else because because i 
unlearned that, <laughs> you know, through the shock of a divorce. Um, so, so yeah, I, and I think like, I think getting married, you know, I was 30, how old, I got married in 2015, I was 34 August, and um, getting married when you're 34 versus I was 26 when I first got married, like, mm. it's just like a very different thing because you, I was much clearer about like, this is what, you know, this is what I want, this is what my, I want, you know, this is what I expect our family might look like together. Like, we just, we just, like, we were, we were grown-ups, and I, when I got married before, it was kind of like signing up to go out into the world together arm-in-arm and see what happens, you know, which mm-hmm. there's something beautiful about that, too, um, but it is, like, it's like a different kind of leap. On the Mahershala episode, his wife talks about uh, why she wanted to be married, and mm-hmm. it's kind of what you just said. Yeah. Which is like, it. she's like, the reason people get married, she started laughing and figured it out, is because it's life's really hard, and you kind of want someone to be there next to you while it's hard. When you say when you, say you got clearer about what you wanted, what, what changed? Um, I, I guess, um, what, really simply... I never really thought I would ever get married, to be honest. And, um, and you know, I was just ravenous for information, doing things, tra- like just, what, I'm here, world, let's keep going. And, um, and a lot of my friends are like that too. My, I come, my parents were divorced. So it just wasn't something that really was on my radar, to be honest. And I wasn't um, upset about it at all. But when you go through a tragedy or something crazy that, like, tears your crap up you then really realize and decide you're not going to take anything for granted and so it was the first time in my life that I um that I was like wow okay I I really can't go through anything serious ever again by myself that sounds about right I loved her I love her like I loved that interview because like yeah I loved their dynamic yeah and she came like for her like committing to marriage came after like you know, losing her brother to gun violence. And it was like, oh, like, it's nice to have someone, like, yeah, with you. Like, um, mm-hmm. It seems like you're pretty good at letting people in. I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm such a person who loves intense, deep personal connections. So, like, the thought of, of, I just don't think it's part of my makeup to um, totally retreat and be on my own because that's not the way, like, that's not the way I move in the world, you know. And and in, in some ways, like, probably the way I cope is, like, by, you know, I, I can remember in the throes of, like, when I was learning how to be a single person again in my, like, Williamsburg studio apartment and the quiet, like I mentioned before, like, I would have to, force myself not to call one of my sisters right you know i would have to force myself to sit in quiet because that is the scary place is like the you know being being alone and um alone with your thoughts without distraction so um you know it's not surprising to me that like I, I quickly met this person and fell in love and like deeply connected because it's like that's that was like also a way to heal you know me trying to heal are you afraid of being alone 
Uh, I don't think so anymore. Now it's really nice when I am alone. I'm like, oh, my God, a plane ride. Get me a magazine. Um, well, I think that has to do with having a kid yeah. <laughs> and a full career and a husband. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I, I, I don't think I'm afraid of it like I used to be. But I, you know, no. But I, I, I think it was really important to learn how to be alone. And I think, you know, I could probably still still learn how to be alone. Um, but yeah, right now, aloneness feels like a luxury. These mm. pockets of aloneness. It's good to figure out how to be alone, except that once you do, a lot of time I spend thinking, yeah, I could just do this. I could just not reach out to someone. But then I, I don't know. I, keep, I ping pong back and forth between do I need human interaction constantly or can I just be okay in my room? I think in the, the, the place... The dangerous place, I think, it's being in your room is great. Interacting socially is great. Like, but the dangerous place is like the weird social media vortex where you like mm. are telling yourself that you're like somehow engaging, but it's all this like, yeah. That's that's I find that's that's the dangerous place. <laughs> it, it is a it's my generation that is spearheaded that, and I don't know what I'm doing. I'm I'm really bad at it. I'm I. I've said this before, and I'm I'm I can't figure it out. It feels so unnatural to me. You're bad at social media, or you have bad social media habits. Like, do you get stuck in the vortex? The, the former. No, I okay. I don't get stuck in the vortex because I'm I'm really bad at it, and I don't do things that I'm not good at. I, <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't have said that out loud. Uh, <laughs> I do things I'm, I'm uh-huh. bad at. Uh, now, you get stuck in the social media bubble. I, I I will delete apps from my phone and then I'll like put them back on. Oh, I do. Like, I've done that. I have yeah. done that. Because it's just like, but there is something like really beautiful about being able to like share where you are in life, especially when you're in a new place and feel connected to family and friends from different parts of your life. So there's some parts that are good, but like the mindless scrolling that can happen, like, yeah, that's a, that's a problem for me. Right. <laughs> I wish I did that less. Well, and also in your case, when you're scrolling, it's probably people talking about the show or or saying something fairly kind about the show, right? Yeah, there's some of yeah, like there's part of that's how it's dangerous because you can be like, I am only doing due diligence for the show right mm-hmm. now. Like, I'm <laughs> but then I'm still on Twitter, like trying to figure out some whatever you know something that's happening in New York, and you know, I, I don't know. Like, it's it's it can be. Yeah, it's it can be a dangerous vortex, and you worry about. I worry about like, you know, you're you see. I see my daughter like she's done with kids' toys. Like the things she likes to play with are like my keys, my wallet, and my phone. Like she's mm. like, what is this like strange right. handheld machine that you two stare into? You know, <laughs> like, are you gonna give your child like an iPad early at an early age? You see those kids walk around. They have like an iPad. They're running around. The right thing to say is like for sure no ever ever screen time for my child never never but then it's like you know I will I, like it's kind of fun to like see her talking to my parents on FaceTime like mm-hmm. I think it's just like time and a place well that seems good with boundaries yeah. right I think it's figuring that out what's it like being a parent I find it so interesting the thing that I didn't realize that. You know, people like will tell you when you're pregnant like they will say like 
you know, oh, if your baby, like, is really active, like, that's what your baby will be like for the rest of their lives. Like, if they're chill, like, they're really mellow. And I, so I a- sorry, active and chill, like, in, when like, they're yeah, inside it's, it's of you. It's like, okay. oh, my baby kicked all the time, and she's been a, like, you know, high-spirited person ever oh, since, okay. you know. And I was like, oh, well, my baby's not moving that much. Maybe she's super chill, you know, <laughs> like, or something's wrong. Ah, is something wrong? Oh, no, she's super, you know. So, so I've had all these stories that I've told myself, like, oh, however this baby is right now is how she's going to be for the rest of her life. And, like, um, I'm only just realizing, like, all the parents that tell you that, like, they're thinking back in retrospect. Like, they're saying, like, mm-hmm. of course all this makes sense now because my daughter's, like, whatever, like, a you know, party planner and loves being out. But, like, for, for me, the coolest thing about being the parent of a little person who can't speak is, like, it's, like, every day I'm, like, tell me more about who you are. You know, you, there's so – just this mystery of, like – you know, oh, so you seem to like really like listening to birds and looking at leaves. You know, you really like the dog. You do not care about like this toy or that toy. You know, it's like so. The, that's what I think is just so amazing is you you feel this incredible like love for this person who you don't know yet. So you're mm. just like, tell me more about yourself because <laughs> every day something is emerging. By the way, of course, this is your reaction to a baby. I know. <laughs> I can't interview you yet. Tell me more about you. <laughs> I didn't realize that. That is kind of hilarious. <laughs> but I find it, I do find it so interesting. Like, I'm like, you are our child. Like, this person who, like, looks partially like my husband and partially like me. Like, that's weird. And then you don't even know this person. And you're like, who are you? You look vaguely like me. That's odd. <laughs> I was hoping it looks <laughs> <laughs> Well just I mean it is it, you know parents have been doing this since people have been having children a but, long time um, but it's fascinating mm-hmm. yeah Yeah I was going to say something about parents which is that it's it's kind of amazing that they've been doing it you know humans have been making kids for so long and that parents aren't like better yet like they should be should be like way more evolved and also, I'm speaking as someone who's not a parent. I'm sure once I become a parent, I'll be just as terrible as everyone else. But it seems like something we should have figured out by now. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, there's so many cultural judgments around how to do parenting right or wrong. And it's funny, I have been noticing that my, you know, something that shows up in stories and movies and you know, everybody has the crisis moment where they realize that their parents totally screwed up and that's why they are the way they are. And, mm. you know, it's a, it's a very you know, ubiquitous plot point. And, and I'm finding now, like, I'm like, oh, I'm sure they were doing the best they could. <laughs> like, and like, it, it's just a little bit, I find it, it's a little, you know, it's pretty easy to say like, oh, it's my parents' fault, you know? Um, because I think that like, yeah, I don't know what I think about it. I think you can really screw up as a parent. You can. And the thing that's terrifying is like you're not quite you think you're you're doing the best you can in the moment, but like it's man, it's a long-term project. You don't know what it, it, you're hoping that the inputs you're putting in today in 18 years will have been the right inputs. I stopped blaming my parents for anything pretty much. I I just can't. Cuz it's not productive. It's not yeah. productive to be like, oh, this happens, or I feel this way because of you. 
it's good to recognize patterns, perhaps, or recognize behavior in the past and how it informs the present. But to sit around and be like, oh, I'm this way because my pet, I don't know if that's helpful. I know. I But as as I was saying that, I was like, man, that some people have some really shitty parents. <laughs> yeah. So, like, yeah. it's like, yeah. Um, someone said, I just, this this weekend I was talking to someone and they said this line, like, um, I don't know who said it, but they said, forgiveness, forgiveness is realizing you can't change the past. And I really liked that. I liked this idea of, like, forgiveness is beyond the question of like oh i see i can see your point of view and whatever it's just like it's a letting go of like trying to relitigate something that mm. went wrong well it's a simultaneous act it's both letting go and recognizing the past and not pretending it didn't exist yeah pretending it wasn't bad if it was bad right yeah. we do that though mm-hmm. i do that <laughs> Oof, i do that i want to say uh why do you think you like trying to figure out people? I don't know. Um, it's just like, um, it's the thing that I've always been interested in. And it's not, not even like from a work point of view or like a, it's just like what I. It's your default. Yeah. It feels good. It feels good to feel like I'm like connecting and like learning something and understanding where somebody's coming from. Mm-hmm. It's like. It's magical, you know. Like I, I, my new, new favorite thing is like just the conversations with like people who are when you're doing like a, a Lyft ride or an Uber ride, like those like conversations that you can have when you live in a new place and like learn about how they got, you know, to Oakland or learn about how, you know, it's just like I love those. It's amazing, and they're like 15 minutes. They're discreet. Like both of you knew you know you're never gonna see each other again. So like there's things you'll reveal, and it's like. You see, but the thing that I do is like, well, if you want to contact me, here's my email. <laughs> you can email me. Because sometimes it, at the end of those, I like I may be crying. They're almost sometimes, it, maybe it's just me, mostly me crying. But <laughs> I just feel like I, I, if they want to reach out, and sometimes I do. That's nice. But I feel kind of guilty if I don't extend. Uh, it depends on the situation, but especially those lift rides or the hmm. rides. It's honestly the cabs to the airport. Yeah. So it, that's I'm already in a weird emotional headspace, and I seem to be open mm-hmm. then. But I don't know. I guess I was gonna ask you. You're saying it's your favorite thing, like it's magical when that happens. Do you find in your interactions or or even in your friendships that they're one sided a little bit? Like you're constantly asking the questions. I don't think so. I think like when I was first, I like I can I can remember when I think about how I learned how to be a friend. I think of like you know being a, a, a little girl on an elementary school playground where you're like learning about like oh this person is my friend and we're this you know you're like learning about cliques and inclusion and exclusion and all this stuff. But um, in junior high, when I was really learning about like how to have like really close friendships I think I got like there's like a you can get into like a weird power trip place of like oh I'm I'm the friend who like helps people like sort through problems I'm like the really like I can I can be helpful in that way was that you oh yeah that was like this is like this is something I'm good at I can help people through problems but but then it's just I don't know that like 
that only lasts so long because then I would have a person, you know, a crisis and need to see this. So, so I, I don't think of my friendships as as um, one sided in that way. And I think that's probably why, like, you know, I haven't become like best friends with someone who I met just th- through them listening to the show because that's like a slight. That's like a different dynamic than like someone who you meet through some, you know, because you, I don't know your husband's work together or something Mm. you know when did you learn that that wasn't healthy i don't know if i learned it wasn't healthy i think i just learned it was like it's thinking back on like trying to be the helpful like wise you know counselor it's like you i think my uh, my friends would get like it's kind of annoying to be friends with the person, like the 14 year old who thinks that, you know, she can always be like, <laughs> help you through your problems. Right. Like sometimes you want to just like, that's what, what I, to go back to like. We just want to play kickball. Yeah, I'm like helped by people who, who bring me into play. Like that, that's like, that's something, that's like another way that that manifested in my life probably. Maybe I'm getting at a thing that's more true about me, but I, I thought maybe it applies to you, which is, I'm a little more comfortable letting people just tell me about their lives than me giving mine. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's something – I think that it's like I can I can think about there's, – there's something about being protective of like exposing your flaws or something that that was like a part of my – you know, probably wanting to be like the wise kid um, and wanting to feel in control. And I think I've, I've, I've let go of that in different ways. In some ways, obviously not. <laughs> obviously, I've not let go of like, but but I, I think there is something like. Um, what's, what's the obviously not? Obviously, obviously, like I still want to be perceived as like having my life together and being like a, a, like a successful human being and like being a good person. Like that is something that you know I have not let go of. But I do find that there has been something liberating in like saying like these are the things I don't know what the hell I'm doing around or you know that like expressing like where you're you don't feel competent or in control where's that in in my life now oh I think like um you know like learning how to be a working parent and like learning how to be yeah I think that's the biggest thing right now for me it's like whoa like when you have like two things you care a lot about and that are both like really important priorities like figuring out how to how to do both well and to um when when one of the things that's a big priority is like a little person who you know can't feed herself without (laughs) you know you putting little little things right in front of her so she finds them um i think that's something i'm trying to trying to figure out the first part also seems true though that you have your life kind of together and you're successful and competent i feel like really I, I feel like this is one of those like m- moments in my life that is going to have like a sepia tone when I think back on it. Like I'm I'm I feel just like so lucky right now, you know. And that, and, and things things change and things will change and there will be something that will be hard. But like 
you know, going through the process of being pregnant was just like so interesting to me because it's like you're growing this thing that you are falling more and more in love with every single day. And you also are aware that like there are so many things that can go wrong. And like so to to have had a healthy baby and to like have jobs where we, we both are making enough money for now, like and that that I get to do work that I feel like is meaningful and that I enjoy, like it just feels very, very special. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of amazing that you can recognize that in the moment. Well, I, tr- I, tr- I mean, that's that's what you get from making a show called Death, Sex, and Money is you get some perspective on how things can go awry. <laughs> so, so um, and that no one is immune. So, uh, like, that is... That is something I do think about from from my work. Yeah. Are you comfortable with the change? Because you mentioned what I love about what you said is like you're already envisioning the future, and in that future, you're gonna look back on now and think it was good then. Yeah. It'll still probably be good then later. But are you okay with it not being forever? Well, you sort of have to be. Like there's – this is variation on a theme here, but to go back to like what you learn, like when you're watching a little person change, like you don't see yourself age. You don't see yourself change because it happens too slowly. But when you're watching this little person who like six months ago, you know, couldn't sit up and three weeks ago couldn't clap and now she can clap. Like it just – it makes you aware of like – this train has left the station. <laughs> and so, you know, as she changes, you know, things are going to change around her and so is everything else in life. So so it does make you like, oh, like my daughter's like very close to like learning how to s- stand up on her own and like walk. And so just thinking about like I I hope that I, <laughs> I hope that we don't like we'll be able to I, like I'm trying to appreciate the crawling days when like we can manage where she is in the house a little bit better because you know it's changing. Yeah, because she's gonna be 17 and you're gonna be like, "Where are you? Can you come home? It's 11 o'clock. It's Tuesday Mom. night." I know. The last thing I wanted to say, or rather discuss, I wrote down this quote uh, from the Bill Withers episode. Oh. We, I think that's the most quotable episode. Of it's the most quotable. <laughs> It's the most quotable, it's the first one, and it's the one I've listened to the most. Oh, that's nice. And um, I just want to read what I wrote down here in my terrible handwriting. Um, We are born into the situations we were born into. One day you are. And you try to do something with yourself. The best advice anybody ever gave me was very simple. Go make something out of yourself, you know. So we do the best we can with that. But the the whole goal of this is to try to make yourself interesting. Because nobody comes here to hide. How have you done on that? Oh, I think about that line so much. Like, nobody comes here to hide. There's so much in there. Um... That line kills me every time. <laughs> it's, it's because it says so much about like, you know, the people who do feel like they're hiding or feel isolated or feel like 
that we're all seeking some sort of being seen and being heard and how do I think I'm doing? I think I'm, um, I, 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 I think I'm doing, I think I'm doing well. I feel like I'm, I have like, I feel really lucky. I feel like I, that this, that, that like asking Bill Withers to talk about life to me is like my job is just like incredibly satisfying (laughs) (laughs) so so I I love that I love I also love how gentle it is because it starts he starts by saying you're born into the situations you are born into like there's so much in that too just about like people who weren't born with anything and, and people who were born with a lot of privilege and like someday you are and like so you just have to do the best of what you were given with, you know, the best, you have to do the best with what you were given. I just think like that should be on a plaque. <laughs> I just love that quote. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't think you're hiding. I, yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah. I mean, there's something, there's something like brave about that, but there's also something about like part of my makeup is like, I enjoy having people listen to a show that I make you know (laughs) so it's like it's also self-serving you know you know that was an important lesson when I was starting out in journalism it was like oh this feels good that not only am I making something but then people are consuming it like it's something I'm putting Mm -hmm. out into the world Um, because that feels like it's like it's a thrill to the ego but it also feels can feel like really important service it's a high like anything else Mm mm-hmm well, I, I'm one glad that you uh, continue to figure out how to reconcile with those things because mm. the show is good. Thank you. And uh, thanks so much for doing this one, Anne Sale. Yeah, thank you for having me. Well, there it is. Special thanks this week to Katie Bishop at WNYC for helping record this week's episode. You can listen to Death, Sex, and Money every other Wednesday, wherever you get your podcast. If you're in New York City, keep an eye out for a live show they'll be doing with Kevin Bacon at The Green Space, May 9th. Lastly, much love to Anna for sitting down and letting me into her home away from home at the Center for Investigative Reporting. first time listening to Talk Easy, you may enjoy past conversations with folks like Andy Greenwald from The Watch, Max Linsky from Longform, Wesley Morris from Still Processing, or Andrea Salenzi from YOY. We also have, by the way, non-podcasters on this show, like everyone from Zoe Kazan and Melanie Linsky to Sherman Alexi and Reggie Watts. You can find all those episodes and more on our website at www.talkeasypod.com or wherever you listen to your podcast. Our music this week is by Jin Sang and Vanilla. Our executive producer is David Chen. Graphics by Ian Jones. Illustrations by Krishna Shenoy. 
Our associate producer is Valerie Ettenhofer, and the show is produced by Nora Knight. I'm Sam Fragoso. Thank you so much for listening to Talk Easy. I'll see you next week. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Smart journalism. Fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. Last year, the Army missed its recruitment goal. It had 65,000 spots to fill and came up 10,000 short of that target. Why is it so hard to recruit? How's the Pentagon responding? And how are the voices of service members on social media shifting the balance? Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish wherever you get your podcasts.